We're going to continue on our series this morning, Stories Jesus Told. And the title of this morning's sermon is, I Found It. Matthew 13 is going to be our text, Matthew 13, starting at verse 44. I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning. You know, one of the things about life is we are always searching for better. We are always searching for better. What if um, what you were searching for is, is right before you, but you don't value it as such, where, where you can't see it? They spoke um, this past Wednesday about micro and macro things in the Word of God, and as individuals in the micro for the believer, um, there is both the spirit and the flesh. And, and there's this ongoing tug of war um, that we have to acknowledge that in us, both of these things exist at the same time. Galatians 5 tells us uh, that we are to walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then it goes on to say the things of the flesh are evident. And it gives this list. And then it goes on to speak of the fruit of the Spirit and gives a list. But what we see there is there is a, a potential in each one of us for both. And in our quest for that, many things take place. We are always looking again for things to be better even a, a better world. So in the collective, sometimes that is, is demonstrated on the macro when it comes to nations. And, and even the church universal reflects that. But when it comes to nations, even this country, that is why so many people over time have risked their lives to come to this great land. Even from the founding of this nation, the reason why many people came is for hope for a better world. But our pursuit of that in our personal lives, as well as corporately, um, horrible things can happen along the way. And, and we have to acknowledge those things. You can't discover something, first off, that belongs to someone else. If you discover something that belongs to someone else, then that's called stealing. You, you, you can't take a people against their will and, and call it transporting. It's actually called kidnapping. Now, 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 some of you might be offended, like, whoa, 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 pastor, this is about to be the birthday of our nation. What, what are you 
talking about. Um, but what happens is we need to rightly consider things, whether it be on the macro when we're talking about big things or the micro when we're speaking about our individual lives because the potential for evil to continue will be prevalent when we refuse to think through these things and be in touch with what is real. If we pursue even the right thing the wrong way, we end up hurting others as well as ourselves. And now what I said is a demonstration of that. And sometimes that is hard to hear. Like we don't want to talk about those things, but we have to. Even though it's hard to hear and we don't like to speak about those things, um, these pursuits, whether it be corporately in the macro or individually in the micro can be atrocities because self-pursuits must be abandoned. There is one pursuit that is worthwhile and only one, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And in the Bible, those terms are used synonymously. And that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning, considering the kingdom of heaven. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Again, we're in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to start at verse 44. It is just a couple of verses. It reads this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that valued treasure because it's affected everything in our lives. As we consider this this morning, Lord, would you do a work in us? Would you give us our daily bread, Lord? We, we come, Lord, hungry, we also come with an expectancy, knowing when we come to your house that you're going to feed us and nourish us, and it will sustain us and keep us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we've been uh, going through this series and speaking about parables, it's been said that uh, the parables that Jesus uh, spoke about make up a critical part of the Bible. Jesus had the wisdom to simplify the profound spiritual truths he needed to share with humanity in the form of relatable stories that are easy to understand. A, a parable is a, a tale about a simple, common subject 
to illustrate a more profound, valuable moral lesson. The Bible tells us with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So we have these two parables about the value of the kingdom of heaven, sandwiched between other parables that describe the kingdom. You don't hear in church often the kingdom being spoken about, but kingdom language is actually used 126 times in the Gospels. In Matthew alone, 55 times the kingdom is spoken about. So these sto the stories that we just read about uh, a man finding treasure in the field and also this pearl of being found are, are similar in certain ways, but in other ways, they're different. Both speak of finding something of great value that's worth giving up everything that was previously possessed. So, so both of them talk about what I've been searching for, I've finally received. But there's some differences in this parable as well. But in terms of it being similar, they, they're actually speaking, obviously, about the preciousness of the gospel. And that um, it is highly esteemed and, and valued by those that are spiritually alive. But there's a difference in these parables as well. The, the first one, uh, this man comes across a treasure in a field that he's not searching for. So maybe he was tilling the ground or walking along and there's this treasure. Maybe he kicked a little treasure chest, chest, what's this, and opened it up and there he finds that in the ground, uh, being a person that worked in construction, and often we would go into spaces that had no one has gone into sometimes in a hundred years. And, and the way um, the mind works, well, let me not say that. The way my mind works is um, what if when I open this up, I find a sack of gold? or something of value. So this guy coming across this treasure, obviously that is not something that was just in the ground. Either someone like buried their life savings there and thought they would return one day and get it, or maybe even someone robbed it and leaving said, let me put it here for now and I'll come back and get it. But whatever the case may be, Someone was not looking for something, and they found something that was worth everything. That, that 
that when they discovered what it was, they, they reburied it. I'm going to take all that my life possesses and put it into buying this land because I recognize what's there. And, and, and for us, that is the gospel, or, or it should be. We, we can't try to hold on to our old life and then say this is the greatest treasure possible because if you try to hold to both of those things, you're declaring by that alone, this is just an addition to what I already have and what I already want to do. The difference between these two parables is the merchant is actively searching for something. And he finds exactly what he's after, and he buys it. Catch this. He didn't go fishing to find that pearl. He bought that pearl from someone who had it and didn't know the value of it. He also was searching for something. We come to a place at times in our lives where We've walked down a lot of roads, and we recognize dead end after dead end, and we're searching for something. And, and, and when we find the gospel, we recognize what it is. So they set forth first how valuable this parable, these two parables, how valuable the kingdom is, but then um, is valued by those who knows its worth. Don't mistake this to think that there is a, that you could buy the, the kingdom. The, the kingdom of God is free for all who want it more than anything else. That, that, that's the criteria. It's free for those that want it more than anything else. The, the kingdom cannot be bought. You cannot barter for it. You even see the story in Acts with Ananias and Sapphira where they uh, see others in the church selling everything that they have and, and they sell a piece of land that they were not obligated to sell and, and, and they could have given a portion, but they said that they had given all but they reserved for themselves something. They, they were frauds. They, they, they did not value it as this is more important than everything. And it was stated to both. You've lied to the Holy Spirit, and they both were struck dead. So this is not something we can make a deal with God about. In the first parable, what you find is when this treasure was found, the guy leaves with great joy. The joy of giving everything for Christ. Being in the kingdom is being under God's rule which puts those that are subject to the king in a position. Often people want position, 
not recognizing the requirements that go along with that position. They want a title without being willing to do the work. They want the benefits without having the responsibility. So, one of the things that took place as Jesus starts to speak about all of these parables about the kingdom, the thought comes, well, when, when is the kingdom coming? In Luke 17, starting at verse 20, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in a way that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in, your, in the midst of you. Since Isaiah, hundreds of years before, the talk of this king and this kingdom coming was being declared. So the people were anticipating for a long time, there's a king coming with the kingdom. And obviously when you're waiting for something for a long time, you start to have all of these thoughts about what that king and kingdom would look like. Young people could relate to that. When you sit there and fantasize what your future husband and wife is going to be like and what they're going to look like, and um, often what you get is them looking and being like something very different. It could be very good. I, I, I could testify to that. <laughs> Won't be getting me in trouble in here. But it's different from even what I envisioned in my mind what it would be one day. So imagine, at this stage when Jesus comes on the scene, these people are oppressed. And, and, and they've heard the stories about all that God had done in the generations before. And, and they're hearing about this king and this kingdom coming. And, and then Jesus comes and even John the Baptist starts to declare the kingdom is here. The problem is they were waiting for a different kind of freedom. They, they were waiting for a freedom that had to do with political revolution. They, they were waiting for a freedom that had to do with national restoration. So he starts to tell them all of these parables about what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus states in the hearers this quote of the kingdom of God is at hand, what the people must have thought. But the same is even true today. See, he is the king. But when he came, in a certain way, he came as a veiled king. He, he did not come like the king of the universe and what we would think that would look like. 
He didn't come with a crown, but with a cross. He, he didn't come living in a palace, but when asked, hey, I want to follow you, he said the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. He, he didn't come with a royal entourage, but he was hanging out with fishermen. But through faith, you can recognize the Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The treasure was hidden in, in a real sense. It was hidden by the enemy that has blinded the world. That, that is why you cannot explain someone into salvation because it's not by explanation but revelation. It must be revealed to you. Jesus came and, and waged war on the enemy and won the victory. And he is coming back in all his glory to reign and rule. You, as a child of God, has been, have been sent on a mission. But the consummation is coming where you will even reign and rule beside Christ. There was all kind of language of the kingdom is upon you. That is because when Jesus was saying that the king was with them. Jesus is the king. Jesus is Lord of the kingdom. And Jesus is coming back. And you, as a kingdom person, are not a citizen of this world. Think about Jesus coming on the earth. And he's with his crew, gang, posse, whatever you want to call it. And they have an agenda. They're on a mission. But it's being seen on the earth, but not really understood fully what was happening. It, it was the most important moments in history taking place, but it was unseen and yet seen the effects of all of this going on of the king's presence on the earth. In the same way, you are on your mission with your crew, posse, gang, whoa. Whether it be your family, your, your, your church, and for your life where God has placed you some of the most important moments in history on the earth are taking place in what he has called you to do. And these things are both unseen and seen, the effects of the king's presence that is in you is affecting the world around you. Are you catching this? See, the kingdom is God's 
reign. The kingdom creates a realm. The, the kingdom creates a kingdom people. But what we're talking about is God's rule. And there are, are different aspects of the kingdom, both present and future, but the king has always reigned. So, so, so the kingdom is upon you. The kingdom is God in your midst. The kingdom has a king, and his name is Jesus. And he was saying to the people, I am here. So when Jesus left, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And just like with us, others followed him to go fishing. And Jesus came and basically said to him, I told you, you were going to be a fisher of men. Um, go to Jerusalem and wait to receive power from on high. See, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure. You don't have time to pull fish out of the water when you've been called to pull men and women out of hell. If we declare, I was blind, and now I see, see what? It's the kingdom of God. It's his reign and rule. I see his hand of power. I see his hand of saving. I see the work that he's doing in the earth. Now I see. I see what is to come. I see the enemy. I see his tricks. I see his schemes. I see the pitfalls and the traps. I see the walking dead. I see my mission and my call. I'm experiencing the power of his presence. I'm walking in his direction. I'm alive in Christ and dead to self because I'm part of something that's so much bigger than me. When we say I was blind and now I see, that this is, this is what we're talking about. I have great joy because I gain the greatest treasure of all. All else is dung. We learn that in Philippians. All else is dung. The only time I've ever carried dung with me was when I took my dog to the vet and they were like, hey, bring a bag of dung so we could test it. I did not ask for it back when I was leaving. That, that language is used for a reason. All else is garbage. I don't have time anymore for foolishness. 
This world has nothing for us. And we're running out of time. I got to keep fishing for men. I got to teach the person next to me how to fish for men. We got to pull more people out of the grips of hell. There will be time to sit in the palace as princes and princesses because that's who you are. Because you are his royal priesthood. You are children of the king of the universe. But presently, there's work to be done. <laughs> Hands to the plow. No turning back. Bearing your cross. Gazing straight ahead. The worst soldier is the soldier that's consumed with self. The worst leader is the leader that's preoccupied with comforts and pleasures. Our king showed us what the kingdom was about when he shed his blood on Calvary. And, and then he sat down. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 11, said, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For a single offering he has perfected for all times those that are being sanctified. So, so when we even think about our great country, America is a drop, drop in a bucket. Uh, China and, and Russia and, and, and all of that, those kingdoms will not stand. But, but God's kingdom will stand forever. So either you're a part of God's kingdom or you're building your mini kingdom. And it ain't the great America and all of these other places. No, you're building this little kingdom for yourself while time is running out. But, but if you're a part of God's kingdom, we, we are speaking about something totally different. Jesus, only a couple of times in the Word, said, this is what I came to do. One of those things that he put in very clear terms of his mission was in Luke 4, starting at verse 42. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The kingdom realm of rule is usually a geographical location at a, at a certain time in history. But this king is the king of the universe. 
and he reigns for all times, past, present, and future. And, and, and his subjects are the redeemed. But even his enemies are subject to him. All blessing and honor and glory and power to the one who sits on the throne. The story of the Bible is the story of God's kingdom. The story of the Bible is the story of God dwelling with man. From the garden to the tabernacle to Emmanuel Jesus with us to Pentecost, that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you to the end of the age in Revelation. It is all about God dwelling with man. Revelation 21 tells us, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people. Once we were redeemed and belonged to him, we are to operate in his kingdom, exercising the dominion that God has given us as his image bearers. He told them, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue, and have dominion. Do the work of the kingdom. Jesus left by saying, do the work of the kingdom. He said, all authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can come up, worship team. Doing kingdom work is 24-7. Being salt and light and conducting yourself as representatives of Christ. Some of y'all just salty. You, you ain't being salt. We, we are to represent. A little delayed, right? I should have waited. If you're in a kingdom, it should sound like something. It should look like something. First Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness, and respect as a citizen of the king receiving 
the benefits and full rights, not only as citizens, but as children of the king, as royalty. What can this world offer you? This is not about me. This is not about you. We think too much as us as individuals. When you look at the Bible, way more than God spoke to individuals, he spoke to peoples. He spoke to Israel. He spoke to the church. But we want to make everything about me. We need to be way too busy to be distracted with temporal nonsense. God has called his people to health, and we are to live within the kingdom, and we are to operate and function in this world, but being about kingdom business. So God's kingdom will come. God's kingdom is here. It is the reign and rule of Christ. Leaders that are going to serve communion, would you please come up? As um, citizens of the kingdom of God, he invites us to his table. First John 1 and 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Jesus Christ. There were great benefits to being in God's kingdom. But along with it is great responsibility. The word of God tells us to whom much is given, much is required. Where are we going to go? What else are we going to do? This other stuff is fading away. Building many kingdoms are being apart to the degree where we are losing our focus on where our citizenship for eternity stands. I, I love being part of the organization that I was in for years and how I made my living and was able to afford things for my family. It's like a, a club. It's a brotherhood and a sisterhood. I love the fact that I was born in America. I've been a lot of places. This is the greatest country in the world. But, but as I mentioned earlier, not without its stains and scars and issues from the past and presently. I love myself. 
But I'd better recognize who I was and who I am and be clear about that because it affects our tomorrows. I love the church, but if, if I can't call out sins from the past, the sins presently, what does that say about our tomorrows? But God's kingdom, it stands forevermore. God's kingdom, where he reigns and rules, is the only thing that matters. It is what kingdom citizens Say, I've found the treasure and all else. I've gotten rid of. I've given up. Because the value of the kingdom of God, his rule and reign in my life, so supersedes everything else. It's beautiful to be able to sit down at the Lord's table and to reflect. But even this table, it is for those that are in God's kingdom. So if you have not made a confession of faith, we ask you, to refrain. Maybe by the end of this service, God would have moved on your heart in such a way that you would be invited to the table next time. And if that's you, I'd like you to come over and speak to me after the service. But this is for those that are in the kingdom. The Bible tells us Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. But for the believer that may have been acting up, this is a time where we come and speak to the Lord and are transparent with him and working those things out in our moments as the song is being sung and then you're more than welcome to participate the ushers will call you up row by row and come to the leaders and take the elements and then we will have communion together as a family would the ushers come